It's Friday, September 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Wall Street Journal set up 31 TikTok accounts registered to teenagers to see what the algorithm would serve them up. What they saw after thousands of videos was a never-ending stream of content related to sex, drugs, and eating disorders. TikTok's algorithm is engagement-based, so spend any amount of time on a video or re-watch it and get ready for a flood of similar content. The company uses 10,000 people and other algorithms to police content, but the app does not restrict certain videos based on age. Georgia Wells, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how TikTok serves up videos to minors. Next, the much-anticipated trial of Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of blood testing company Theranos, kicked off this week with opening arguments. She has been accused of knowing that the company's new tech and blood tests were unreliable, harming patients, and overstating the company's performance. The prosecution is trying to portray her as a fraud who lied and cheated to get more money, and the defense is trying to humanize Holmes, saying that Theranos failed as a business and that failure is not a crime. Ben Popkin, senior business reporter at NBC News, joins us for the opening of this trial expected to last three months. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There's more than 500 videos about drug use, references to cocaine, meth addiction, and promotional videos for like online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. And like this is that one like rabbit hole very severely on that topic. Joining us now is Georgia Wells, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Georgia. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about a very interesting investigation that you and some colleagues did there at the Wall Street Journal looking into TikTok. Obviously, you know, anybody that spent some time on TikTok knows how addictive it can get. You know, the endless stream of videos, you can go down a rabbit hole and and the algorithm that TikTok uses is so in tune to uh, your likes and desires, really. You know, anytime that you spend on a video, it monitors that and it serves you up a bunch of stuff that's related to it. So, you know, it hooks people pretty quickly. But for your investigation, you guys set up a bunch of bots, a bunch of accounts, more than 100 TikTok accounts to browse the app. And you set up a bunch of profiles that are supposed to be, you know, people under 18, ages 13 and 15. And uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff that was served up to the minors as well. Things uh, related to sex, drugs, uh, violence, a bunch of different stuff. So, uh, Georgia, help us walk through and tell us how the investigation was done. And then we'll get into all sorts of the findings. So this one, it was actually 31 accounts were specifically for the minors. I think the 100 was for when we had started our process about how the algorithm works. But so the process of what happened is we all have been talking a lot about what are the videos that we saw on TikTok. And not surprisingly, talking to friends, talking to the folks on this team, it was sort of funny hearing that, like, you know, I get a lot of dogs on TikTok, but like right. one of the people at our project was getting a lot of power washing videos. Apparently that's like a thing. And so we were starting to wonder what does TikTok serve to teens? Like how can we find more information about the experience that teens are having or can have on TikTok? So we set out these 31 minor accounts. And so we kind of assigned them a date of birth and an IP address and also interests. And so this meant that these accounts would have Interest that they would express by rewatching videos associated with certain content. So we were like, okay, what do what do teens like? Well, some teens think about drugs, some think about sex, also other topics. So then we let loose these bots on the For You page, and they chugged along and rewatched content related to their interests and skipped content that 
was not kind of related to these interests that we had pre-programmed. But this was the only way they were expressing these interests. And the finding was pretty stark. TikTok can quickly drive minors among the biggest users of its app into these endless pools of content about sex and drugs. And that's what the uh, findings showed. I mean, uh, you know, you spend a little bit of time on one topic, uh, uh, you know, very familiar terms in the TikTok world, kink talk, you know, people talking about some sexually explicit behavior or things related to that. And then what the app is going to do is serve you up, uh, you know, reams of that same stuff. And that's what you guys noticed. You guys even, you know, shared some of the findings with TikTok and some of those videos in turn got banned or got removed because, you know, it didn't fit guidelines. We noticed like certainly some of the videos were taken down before we approached TikTok about them. And so it's either TikTok's moderators caught them or the creators themselves took them down. We're not sure which. Then certainly after we approached TikTok with some of the videos, TikTok then removed many of them. And also our understanding is TikTok can also set videos to not necessarily be removed from the platform, but not recommended like to more users. So certainly there was like some action. So for example, one of the bots, it was registered as a 13-year-old, and TikTok served it. It was more than 500 videos about drug use, references to cocaine, meth addiction, and promotional videos for, like, online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. And, like, this is that one, like, rabbit holed very severely on that topic. But other of the accounts that didn't rabbit hole so hard still were served kind of many of these videos around drugs or also sex content, like you were mentioning. Yeah, and, and that's what, uh, you know, a lot of people have been critical of these type uh, engagement based algorithms you know youtube had a big problem with that as well and just from what i've been reading right tiktok has this super algorithm which just uh, hooks you in a lot faster and you you mentioned the uh, example about the drug so help us walk down how that worked because it started off where the account was uh, watched a video of a girl walking through a forest or whatever supposedly looking for marijuana the next day, it was like a marijuana-themed cake, and then boom, it was just showing tons of like 420 content, and, and that's how those rabbit holes kind of develop. So the first couple days of these accounts, typically, they'd be served with like a broader range of more popular videos, like lots, you know, lots of funny content. But like for example, this drug one, early on, it, it sees this one marijuana-related video, rewatches it, then there's more popular content. Then the next day, another marijuana-related video, this was the cake you mentioned, rewatches it, and then boom. Like, those were all the signals it needed to rabbit hole then on marijuana and drug kind of related topic, like content for the future after that. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, you shared some of this content with TikTok. What was their response to all of this? Because one of the things that they said is, you obviously set up bots. This isn't a real human. It's not a real person interacting there. So the experience is going to be different. But uh, there was many accounts where, you know, all of this content uh, that is not for young teens like that, uh, that sh they shouldn't have been served up. So what, what what did they, how did they respond to it? Yeah. Yeah. So your point, like, yes, like TikTok, you know, made very clear that humans have diverse and changing interests and that that's one of the ways that the behavior of humans won't quite match the experience of these bots. Why we did this was that there's not an easy way, like TikTok doesn't have a way for like people to be able to see clearly what teens in general see on the platform. Like, it, you know, if parents pair with their specific teens, yes, they can get some insight into it. But for researchers or other people, like there's not a great way to know like what's trending among teenagers, what are teenagers seeing. But TikTok, they mentioned that 
They're looking into potentially creating a tool that would filter content for younger users. And so that could look almost like a TV rating system so that like for a young user, you might get like, you know, PG related types content for an older user, maybe it would be like PG 13 esque types content. So that's something they're, they're looking into and they, they could, that's a change that we'll certainly be keeping an eye out for that they could implement in the future. That could be a helpful tool because there's a lot of content creators themselves that they'll tag their, their content as for adults only or 18 plus or whatever. And, you know, not all of them, right? But some of them say, hey, I don't even want kids looking at my stuff because I'm yeah. not gearing it towards them. But so, yeah, so, exactly. so, so in that sense, that could be a useful tool. Very useful. We spoke to some users who kind of are staples in this talk community. And many of them were saying that in their bios on their profile pages, like even there they list 18 plus. And many of them say for adults only kind of in labels on the videos explicitly they're making a value judgment that this video they're creating they don't believe is appropriate for children or for minors and many of them do not want minors viewing their videos and so that absolutely could be both helpful for them and then also helpful for tiktok the company because it's a hard challenge figuring out what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for every single kind of slice of every demographic like i don't want to lose sight of the challenge there but Given some creators are already labeling their videos, that certainly seems like a signal that the company could use to help filter the content. And how does TikTok monitor and police that content? Because this is something that we've gone through with every social media platform from Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, everybody, right? They get teams to go through and deem it not good. They'll remove it. The company said in a recent report, they removed 89 million videos in the second half of last year because... People are posting up so much content. So how does TikTok go about doing it? Yeah, exactly. That is a lot of videos. TikTok has more than 10,000 people who work on this moderation stuff. So it's a combination of algorithms and this force of people. And so the algorithms will identify videos that the company kind of believes are likely to be breaking certain rules. And then the humans come in to be like, yes, indeed, that's kind of violates the sexually explicit content policy or that violates a rule against violence. But interestingly, earlier this year, they rolled out this change where for certain types of content, if the algorithms have a very high degree of confidence that something is breaking the rules, they'll actually take the video down before a human has looked at it. And this was an important change in helping the company be able to take stuff down faster because before it had to wait for a human to like get to it in the queue to look at it. At the same time as they're trying to figure out how to do this moderation at scale, the platform itself has absolutely exploded. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, now there's like at least, you know, 100 million users, you know, folks who watch TikTok in the U.S. and certainly a subset of them who are posting. In 2019, that was 25 million. So just in the span of a couple of years, it's way more content they're dealing with. Georgia Wells, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We've also done a lot of work as part of this commitment that we've made, and it's been very controversial that we've actually become the first company advocating for FDA regulation of lab-developed tests. And as part of that, we have said that we think that every lab-developed test really should go through the FDA. Joining us now is Ben Popkin, senior business reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ben. No problem. Thanks for having me. 
The much-anticipated trial of Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos, has just kicked off this week. I mean, this is a story that's been going on for a long time now. I mean, it has a little bit of everything, you know, big, wild promises from Elizabeth Holmes and her blood testing company, Theranos, saying that they could uh, test for an array of different diseases and, and whatnot through a small machine with a very limited mm-hmm. amount of blood. We have uh, big wig investors Elizabeth Holmes, uh, very charismatic herself, uh, wearing her turtleneck, black turtleneck, reminiscent of Steve Jobs. So there's so much that goes on in this story. But Ben, if you could start us off, what was the whole allure of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos? What were the big promises that she was making? You know, this trial really puts Silicon Valley on trial. The whole MO of move fast and break things. You know, it's one thing when that It's happening with a new technology company that is optimizing some piece of software, but it's another when you go from that unregulated sector to the highly regulated medical device sector, you're dealing with real lives, real people, real problems. So Elizabeth Holmes, her promise was she would run over 200 tests at Theranos on people's blood that could be drawn with just a finger prick instead of those intravenous blood draws we're used to when you go to the doctor. Uh, This was going to revolutionize blood testing. It was going to be faster, cheaper than traditional blood testing. It was going to disrupt the market. It was going to make it so people could be more empowered and they would be more likely to get tested and find out if they had diseases. She wanted to change the world. And she dropped out of Stanford at 19 to pursue this vision. She poured her life savings into it, kept going. And eventually she was able to get some pretty you know, high stakes investors in there. George Schultz, Henry Kissinger, uh, Betsy DeVos, former education secretary, raising over $700 million. And the company was valued at $9 billion. She became the first self-made female tech billionaire and was gracing the covers of uh, glossy uh, business magazines. This is really a a story of, of the moment. And then it all came crashing down. Medical experts started raising some um, skepticism about how the technology worked. The company didn't release it. Data was very secretive. Some leaks started getting out, and uh, Wall Street Journal reporter John Carreyou began reporting a series of skeptical articles 2015-2016, raising questions about the validity of Theranos' tests and promises. And then it kind of all came crashing down. SEC investigated the company's uh, net worth went down to zero. They were charged with a fraud conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Now she's in trial, faces up to 20 years in prison, and her uh, promises are being held to account. And at the time, before everything went down, they had already had some pretty big partnerships with Walgreens and Safeway for people to you know, go there. They set up little mini clinics so people can go there, get mm-hmm. their blood tested, and hopefully, you know, get those results, as you mentioned, faster and cheaper and everything. So Theranos was was pumping. It was so big at that time. So obviously, as you mentioned, everything came crashing down. Now uh, we've had opening statements, and it's really the prosecution is really trying to make her out to be a big liar. The company was running out of money, running out of time to really prove that the technology was working and that she was lying at any cost to further the business. In the opening arguments, you really saw kind of this battle of two personas being offered. And the question for the jury is, Elizabeth Holmes, is she a fraud or is she flawed? So the government clearly 
pursuing the former, uh, trying to cut through the hype and noise that had been building before this trial. She had had a baby a month before. There had been allegations raised about her former business partner. But they said, this is a case about fraud, about lying and cheating to get money. That's what U.S. Attorney William Leach said. They laid out the timeline and said every time she met with an obstacle, she kind of came up with a, a bigger lie to get around it. For instance, saying the company was on track to make a million dollars when it was only making a few hundred thousand. Doctoring a report that Pfizer had sent it to make it look to investors like they endorsed the company's practices. And they even, it was alleged they were running the blood tests on the machines of theirs that didn't work. They were actually running them on unconventional machines. And, and those results were getting botched with one victim thinking that she was going to miscarry another, that he had prostate cancer. For their part, the defense, they're trying to present Holmes as a human, flawed, failed, but not a villain. Failure is not a crime. The defense attorney Lance Wade said, trying your hardest, coming up short is not a crime. And really laying out how this kitchen table idea developed. And she was really trying to change the world and doing her best, but uh, it just didn't work out. And she shouldn't you know, go to jail for it. And part of the case is obviously you have to show that she intended to mislead investors and doctors and patients and all that. But that's kind of what the defense is trying to do is say, well, she didn't really know. She was just more the face of the company rather than knowing, you know, the intricacies of the technology that was left up to uh, the president and uh, a one-time boyfriend of hers, an ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani. So, you know, he's another figure in this whole thing as well. The Holmes team successfully argued for their uh, trials to be severed. He'll be tried separately. So during the next four months, the defense is going to be able to lay a lot of claims against him. That's another wrinkle to this tale. And we'll see what happens there. Like you said, the defense is saying that Holmes, like another traditional CEO, is not responsible for the actions of, of its agents. But the government is going to show that what they're trying to assert is, you know, she was in complete control of this company. The buck stopped with her. If anything, she was the controller in the relationship with Balwani rather than the other way around. But we'll see what the jury says about that and um, what the defense is trying to do in terms of uh, we've learned just today that they're moving to block some of the testimony of the company's former controller. There's more of these sort of tabloid details. Uh, former controller Denise Yam, she was expected to testify about how Holmes had allegedly used corporate funds to make $2,000 purchases from jewelry stores using company funds for private jet travel. The defense said the judge had, had barred this. The government said they're, they're going to abide by the guidelines around how that is used. And, and Denise Yam, for herself, right, she had to justify all those purchases and had to go up to Holmes and ask her, hey, why are you making these purchases? Why does Theranos have to pay this? So that's all going to come out, too. This trial is expected to last mm -hmm. like three months, they said. It's going to be a long time. They have a huge list of potential witnesses, including Elizabeth Holmes herself, could possibly testify. Everyone is watching to see if she will testify. She's on uh, her own witness list, and that is a risky move. Uh, experts say that opens up her up to cross-examination by the prosecution, and they're not going to pull any punches. But at the same time, it seems you know, Elizabeth Holmes, she was a mesmerizing presence. Uh, you can see that in videos. She stares people in the eye. She... <laughs> speaks with conviction, uh, a deep baritone that people say was an affectation. She has a way of winning people over. So the defense may be betting if she's able to convince people like Henry Kissinger and Walgreens executives to invest in her company, she should be able to handle a jury of her so-called peers.
Ben Popkin, senior business reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.